You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Ramil. On today's episode, the Lakers have a new coach. A rival declares Kevin Durant the best player in the NBA, and we look ahead to tonight's playoff matchups. But we begin today in Houston, where the Rockets have tied their series with the Warriors 2-2. After giving up a 17-point lead, Golden State battled back to get the game within a possession with just seconds left in the game. But the Rockets held on. James Harden finished with 38 points, 10 rebounds, and 4 assists. And they will head to Oakland now for Game 5. David, I want to talk about Steph Curry, who continues to struggle a little bit in this series. But do you feel like the Rockets now are in control? No, I don't think so, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, The Rockets got some momentum. Uh, to quote Eric Spolster, who was quoting Pat Riley, you don't really uh, make it a series until you win one on the opposing team's floor. And so far, neither team has been able to do that. It's a 2-2 edge right now. I mean, uh, both teams are, are tied. And they go back to Oakland, where Golden State's been a pretty good team for the past five years. And to be honest with you, I think Golden State has been struggling. They've gone through some injury issues. Both Clay Thompson and Steph Curry look like they're... Not at 100%. Um, and even in tonight's game, where both players were shooting very badly, and um, Golden State as a team was shooting pretty badly, they still managed to keep it extremely close, even while they were down by a, a pretty, what seemed like an insurmountable double-digit lead in midway through the fourth quarter. They were still able to mount a comeback. They were within seconds of tying the game right before it ended. And uh, I never really felt that Houston had such a huge lead that Golden State wouldn't be able to come back. And I think that's the edge for Golden State. They've been there so often over the past few years. They don't have anything left to prove. They know they can get past these kinds of situations. Houston, on the other hand, I think is still trying to climb past Golden State, still trying to prove themselves as much success as they've had in the regular season and some success in the postseason. It hasn't really amounted to much, and I think they're still looking for their own identity when it comes to their postseason, uh, You know how they define themselves in the postseason. Houston Houston has played better, I think, the entire series. In all four games, I would... And look, Golden State is... They have outscored the Rockets in the series, but only by one point. And I really do think that the Rockets have executed their game plan. They have played better from the very beginning. And look, you're, Kevin Durant is all-worldly. And we're going to talk about Durant in a little bit later on. But... There, besides Kevin Durant, you know, Steph Curry continues to struggle. He was 4 of 14 from three-point range despite scoring 30 points and came came on strong in the fourth quarter there for, for the Warriors, but he just can't get his shot right. Klay Thompson can't get his shot right. He's one for six, and I know there's been a lot of talk about those guys not shooting the way that they usually shoot, but we got to give some credit, too, to Houston, who's who defensively are switching everything. They're making things really hard. P.J. Tucker has made things challenging for Kevin Durant in a similar way to Patrick Beverly in that first round against the Clippers. Eric Gordon has been awesome for Houston. He had 20 points tonight. He's been on both ends of the floor, one of their best players. P.J. Tucker is just getting rebounds. Uh, He had 10 rebounds tonight, five offensive, five defensive, and and the Rockets continue to have an advantage there. They continue to have an advantage in the turnover battle. They continue to have an advantage in the free throw game. They not they're not fouling as carelessly. They're not turning the ball over as carelessly as the Warriors have. I like the way Houston has played the series more than the Warriors have. The Warriors they have so much talent that it sometimes have, has bailed them out, and they 
They won their two games on their home floor. But going into Oakland in Game 5, if I'm the Rockets, I feel really good with the way that we're playing. Well, I mean, but... I imagine Golden State pretty you know feels pretty good about themselves as well despite their, That's their struggles. Fair. Yeah, I mean despite their They struggles. have not been good and they are they have been in every game. Right. Every game has been close. Even like the Rockets didn't like they didn't like James Harden didn't shoot well in the first two games and they were right in every game towards the very end. Right. I mean Golden State got some key contributions from other players. Draymond looks pretty solid. Andre Iguodala mm-hmm. had 7 points. I mean it wasn't a a powerhouse showing by any any one particular player on the Warriors, other than Kevin Durant. But for the most part, they they still feel comfortable. I think as far as the team that they are, they know who they are. They know they've taken cha- they've taken these kinds of chances throughout their successful run. And I just I don't know that they're necessarily shaken by by Houston's strong showing in, in the last two games. As good as Houston's depth has been, as good as as you know uh, James Harden has been and others on on that roster, I still feel that Golden State is pretty secure in who they are. And and once they come back to Oracle, they'll kind of reestablish themselves and they'll take the same chances, but they'll, again, they have the edge talent wise. And that's always been the difference for them. I'll say this. Houston needed a game like they did in game three and they needed, and James Harden needed a game like he had just now in game four to reestablish their identity because it didn't seem like they really had that going. They seemed a little out of sorts in the first two games. So I think they're going to be more confident than they were even in game one. Uh, But let's go to our other game of the night. The Milwaukee Bucks went, into the Celtics building and smacked them. The Bucks beat the Celtics 113 to 101. They have now won three straight after dropping that first game in the series with Milwaukee leading 3-1. Is this series over, David? Absolutely. Um, Boston just looks pretty much like the team that we had seen in spots throughout the regular season. They look demoralized. They look like they're taking chances. Kyrie Irving is struggling. Um, so many players still trying to find out who they are, even as they are supremely overconfident in their abilities. And this group just looks so mismatched. It's just, they're playing individualistically. There's no cohesion whatsoever. There doesn't seem to be any camaraderie. And while that isn't the end-all be-all to a team success, it certainly helps. And they're not playing as a cohesive group. Whether they like each other off the floor or not, that really doesn't matter. It's how they can co- you know, how can they can work cohesively as a unit on the floor. That hasn't been the case. The team that we saw sweep Indiana in the first round isn't the team that we've seen against a much better, much more talented Milwaukee group as we expected. But they just they're looking around looking for answers, and I don't know anybody who has them from Brad Stevens all the way down that roster. There doesn't seem like there's anybody who seems to have an answer for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Or, or how to figure out what this team really is and how well they could put, potentially play. Before I pile on the Celtics, I want to credit Giannis because the Boston did a nice job. They first of all they dominated that first game. They they played Giannis well in that game too, and then Giannis just figured it out. And that is what superstar players do, right? You see a coverage once or twice, and then you just figure it out. Giannis has figured it out. He was absolutely unstoppable, and the, and the Bucks are going to go on to win this series. And it, I don't think it goes past one more game. I, this thing is over. It's a wrap. It's done. But it's not It's not just because Milwaukee is the better team. And they've been the better team all season long. It's not just... But Boston is probably the most consi- inconsistent of all these top teams that we keep talking about, right? Yeah. Like, Kyrie Irving, yes, he struggled. He said after Game 3 he wouldn't go 8 of 22 again. Well, he was right. Tonight he went 7 of 22. And that ju- it just sort of... 
it just sort of symbolizes everything that's gone wrong for Boston this season. They are all talk. They just keep talking. They keep trying to talk their way out of problems, but they don't really play the way that they need to play. And so even if Boston were to somehow steal one game, there's no way that they they win three in a row. This team is not going to win three in a row against a better team like the Bucks. This thing is over. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's fair. They 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 talk a lot, but they talk at each other, and usually they use the media in order to attack one another. Um, it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of chemistry. There doesn't seem like there's a lot of communication in house in that locker room, and and that's been the same problem all year long. I mean, you have so many. They overachieved last year with Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving out, so this isn't a surprise because. We've, we've seen this all year long that they're still trying to incorporate those players. And, and while we saw in flashes this team play at a, at a nice level, they just haven't been able to do it consistently. And, and you've got Irving, who's a free agent. You've got Terry Rozier, who's a free agent. You've got guys like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, still young, trying to prove themselves. It's the same issues. And just because they were yeah. able to get past a, a beaten, you know, injured Pacers group that lacked talent, that wasn't exactly... I, I was never really sold on that Celtics group as well as they had played, you know, obviously they had a nice game one. And I think a lot of people, because it's Boston, because that's been the story for the whole season. A lot of people expected them to be a great team, but they've been, they looked like the team that we've seen more often than not during the course of the regular season. The talent is there. They just can't put it together. I think at some point, you know, look, Kyrie Irving is trying hard to be a leader. I think he's done more harm than good in that locker room. You've got Jason Tatum, who thinks he's a superstar. You've got Gordon Hayward trying to work his way back. You've got a lot of different egos to manage. At some point, you've got to lay some of that at Brad Stevens. But overall, um, this is just not a team that is connected at a consistent level. And, and the Milwaukee Bucks have been the opposite. They, ex- they, know, they know exactly what the hierarchy is there. They know exactly how they want to play on a game-to-game basis. And that's why they're going to go in the, to the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's take a break. Coming up next, it looks like Ty Lue will be coaching the Lakers next season. And Patrick Beverly says Kevin Durant is the best player in the NBA. Let's talk about ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, let's get into some news from around the league, and let's head to Los Angeles, where Ty Lue is expected to become the next head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. According to Yahoo Sports, the two sides are reportedly working on a contract. Ty Lue obviously was last with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was terminated there last season. Is this a smart decision to bring in LeBron's former coach from Cleveland after... They, they lose Magic Johnson. They fired Luke Walton at the end of the season. It's been a season of turmoil, an offseason of turmoil for the Lakers. Now it looks like they're trying to fix things a little bit by bringing somebody that uh, LeBron is obviously familiar with in Cleveland. Wes, do you think he's the right choice for the Lakers? Obviously, it's not a home run. It wasn't even their plan A. Plan A seemed to be Monty Williams, if we believe all the reports, right? But 
you hit it on the head there. I mean, all all the turmoil that's going on, you didn't want to bring in a first-year head coach or, you, you know, you didn't want to bring in a rookie head coach, certainly. But you definitely also didn't want to bring in somebody that LeBron's never worked with before. And that's why they zeroed in on Monty Williams and Ty Lue. Now, Ty Lue didn't do the best coaching job at Cleveland, but he knows LeBron. He knows how to work with him. And more importantly, he knows the kind of game LeBron needs to play, the kind of players that need to be around LeBron James. And with Magic Johnson out, I don't know who the voices are in, the, in that room now that's making the decisions on what this team looks like next season as far as the roster goes, the personnel. But you'd imagine LeBron is going to have a voice in that. Ty Lue ought to have a voice in that. And to me, it, do, like, it doesn't matter so much who the coach is. You've got to get this roster right, first and foremost. You've got to get shooters around LeBron James. You've got to get defenders around LeBron James. You've got to fix guys one, you know, 2 through 15 and figure out what this team looks like around LeBron James if you want to win a championship. Having Ty Lue there will help. There's going to be less of a learning curve for LeBron, for the head coach, for everybody involved. So you can hopefully hit the ground running, but you can only go so far if your player is if your roster is just garbage like it was last season. Look, Frank Vogel is also reportedly in the mix. Uh, he was terminated by the Orlando Magic at the end of last season. He's been out of the league since then. You like Frank Vogel, right? I, I think he's maybe a little out of touch. He had a great run in Indiana, but he was able to bring out a lot of their talent there. And unfortunately, he just wasn't able to work that magic in Orlando, no pun intended. So I, I like him as an assistant coach. I, I wonder how he'll be able to kind of uh, adjust to Ty Lu being the, the lead uh, coach there. But, you know, as far as Ty's hiring in Los Angeles, obviously he's connected to the Lakers organization. He was there as a player at some point. But I just feel like this is a, a little bit too much kowtowing to LeBron James. And I think with that fan base already kind of in an uproar about LeBron, not being able to guide that team to the playoffs, struggling through injuries, playing perhaps somewhat selfishly and being, you know, and adding to a dysfunctional group that's been dysfunctional for a number of seasons. I, I just don't know if this is the right move. Like you might want to go in there with a voice and it's look, I, I appreciate your point and I can see that a hundred percent. You want somebody who is comfortable and familiar with LeBron James, but well, that's why time, you go for Monty Williams, right? Is for exactly the, the exact reason you're saying it doesn't look like you're just sort of reprising this Cleveland thing that didn't totally work out right. exactly like you got to the finals out of the Eastern Conference but you didn't really you know you won a championship in 2016 but you never beat the Kevin Durant Warriors you never beat these were so maybe that's why you go Monty Williams because it's sort of with the same template a guy who coached LeBron on Team USA has is familiar with him and his camp is maybe that's why you do it and that's why your backup was Ty Lue yeah. but would you would you have rather had just somebody who had no connect had no familiarity with LeBron, do you want to go through this drama again? Because we know that LeBron isn't going to get Ty Lue fired, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it would have had to have been a longtime assistant, somebody who's respected around the league and has had some kind of experience adjusting and working with super-powered egos like LeBron's. Because, I mean, look, as good or bad as Ty was in, in Cleveland, the reality is that roster was much more complete and ready to compete for a championship than the Lakers is. And I don't know that Ty Lue is proven as a developmental coach. Neither is Vogel, for that matter. And so you're looking at a guy like Williams, who was eventually hired by the Phoenix Suns, specifically because he's a good developmental coach. He might have been a better fit overall. But let's move on a little bit here. Um, Clippers guard Patrick Beverly, who was such a pest for Kevin Durant during the first round of the playoffs, came on NBA TV on Monday night and said that Durant is the best player in the league, saying, quote, he is the best player in the NBA, hands down. It's not even close, end quote. 
I, you know, obviously there's been some speculation there that Patrick Beverly on on the behalf of, uh, you know, the Clippers organization might be trying to woo Kevin Durant there. But do you think Beverly's correct in saying that Durant is the best player in the league? I have been, I have been adamant that LeBron James is the best player in the league until proven otherwise. And the thing with LeBron this season, he didn't have his best year. No. He was injured. He had the groin strain. All of that, we didn't, but we never got a chance to see playoff LeBron. Even last year, LeBron in the regular season wasn't great. This is not a guy who's been really in the in the MVP conversation for a few seasons, ever since he left Miami, really. Hmm. But in the playoffs, he would turn it to a different level, and we would just be reminded again that he is the best player on the planet, and it's not even close. To use Patrick Beverly's words, hands down, he was the best player in the league, I'm getting to a point where I watch Kevin Durant, even in a loss to Houston tonight, David, four, 34 points on 22 shots. He went 8 of 10 from the free throw line, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, had a steal, had a block. He is doing things offensively that we've never seen before. And then defensively in the final five minutes, he's picking up James Harden. Defensively, he's one of the best centers in the league at this point. He really is the center of that Hamptons five. It's not really Draymond Green half the time. So... What he can do on both ends, I just I don't think LeBron can do that anymore. There was a point where LeBron was doing that in the playoffs, but even recently in Cleveland, he did take he still took a break on the defensive end. So on the if you're if we're talking about two way player and that that is the conversation we're talking about the best player in the league, I don't think Kevin Durant is as good as a playmaker as LeBron. I he just he's still I know he's got the Finals MVPs and all that stuff. He still isn't as decorated as LeBron. But at this point, right now, Kevin Durant might be the best player in the NBA. It feels somewhat sacrilegious to say it, right? I mean, LeBron yeah. has been so good for so long and, and undisputedly the best player in the league. And that's been a driving force for Kevin Durant for years is that he's always wanted to be the number one. He's tired of being number two. Those are his his exact words from years ago. And, and many times he's echoed those throughout his career. But I think he's finally become the number one player in the league. And I think you, you hit it right on the, the head there that it's – LeBron's drop off defensively that really takes him down a notch, and I think Kevin Durant is at its, his peak. He's playing as well as ever, uh, better than ever, and he could do it on both ends. And I think that's certainly a, a big factor in consideration. And it also goes a little bit to show how well vacuous the the MVP choice is because neither Durant or LeBron are in the consideration Great for point. MVP. So here we are debating whether or not it's Adetokounmpo or Harden, and in reality, the best player is actually you know, either LeBron well, or Kevin Durant. Harden and Giannis, right? Those guys were also in the conversation for best player in the league. And look, Giannis has been great. Harden has been great. But they haven't been necessarily better than they were in the regular season. Like, the LeBron had always ramped it up in the postseason when we really care about all of this stuff. And Kevin Durant has done that for over the, the past few years. When you get to this level, I think you figure it out. You're not necessarily coasting the regular season. Kevin Durant's numbers during the regular season were insane, right? He was a driving force for why the Warriors were the number one seed in the West. But in the playoffs, he just ramps it up to another gear that a lot of these guys just don't have. Well, let's wrap it up here. We're finally uh, injured Warrior centers and Marcus Cousins expecting to return before the end of this postseason. After working back from an Achilles tear in 2018, Cousins suffered a partially torn quadriceps muscle in the first round of the playoffs. Hasn't played since. Are you buying or selling that Cousins is going to be able to play for the Warriors in the playoffs this year? I'm selling this. I am selling this. I'm selling all of it. Uh, I don't really care what my rate of return is on it. This is ridiculous. DeMarcus Cousins is not playing again. 
in the postseason. He's never going to play again for the Warriors. He's going to be a free agent this summer. Look, I get it. I understand that he wants to work and, and get back on the court. That's great. Great for DeMarcus Cousins. He's got to go out and say all this stuff. He's got to show that he's working hard because his free agent value right now is it's on the floor. There, He's got almost no value. People are, are going to be questioning him now even more than they did last year coming off of that Achilles because not only did he never fully bounce back from the Achilles, and now, but now he's also dealing with this quad thing. So you've got these two lower body injuries. He didn't look great when he was even playing for the Warriors. And if you're Golden State, look, maybe you get past Houston. And if you do, do you really want to be working DeMarcus Cousins into your lineup in the Western Conference Finals? There's no way. Steve Kerr is going to go out and say all the right things. He's leaving the door open because he doesn't want to shut the door on a guy who is still traveling with the team, still in the locker room, still has a relationship with that roster. But this isn't happening. Yeah, and I think that's the point there. Golden State's postseason might only be another three games left, so DeMarcus better hurry up if he wants to get any playing time at all. Let's take a break here, but coming up next, does Kawhi Leonard give the Raptors the edge over the Sixers? Thank you to our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. You can support them and support us by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. Remember to listen to and subscribe to the new and archived episodes of Locked On NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And if you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. Let's look at our candidates for the Locked On line of the night. Let's start with the first game, where Giannis and Tenenkumpo scored 39 points on 15 of 22 shooting, Made two of his five three-pointers, 7-10 from the free-throw line, 16 rebounds, 4 assists, added a steal and a block. And then James Harden, 38 points on 13-29 of 29 shooting, 6-17 of 17 from three-point range, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 blocks and only 2 turnovers. And then for Golden State, Kevin Durant, 34 points on 22 shots, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal, a block. And Steph Curry came on strong at the end of the game, 30 points on 25 shots, only went 4 of 14 from three-point range, but also had eight assists. Who gets your locked on line of the night, David? It's going to be Kyrie Irving, 7 of 22 from the floor. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I was tempted to give it to Harden. Obviously, uh, he had a huge game, even as he's battling blurried vision. Um, you know, he did have that cheap shot on Draymond when he hit him upside the head after shooting a three-pointer. But the reality is that he was able to do what he did in 40 minutes, whereas Adetokounmpo, albeit against a weakened Boston defense, was able to do what he did in 34 minutes. So he gets my edge for the line of the night. Yeah, Giannis gets it. Uh, did it in, by the way, that adjustment from Milwaukee still there. Giannis is still only playing like 31 to 34 minutes per game, where like Harden, Durant, all these guys are playing 40-plus. Yeah. You've got guys in Portland and Denver playing 50 minutes a game because all their games going to overtime and whatever. Like they they the Bucks still have that adjustment of just playing Giannis more, but credit the Bucks when Giannis was on the bench for I think there was about an eight minute stretch in that second half uh, where he was on the bench with foul trouble. George they Hill. made a run. They extended their lead against Boston. That was good by them. So they're playing well. Shout out to George Hill and Pat Connaughton. Uh, let's go to tonight's games. Philadelphia is back in Toronto tonight with the series tied two two after thirty nine points from Kawhi Leonard on Sunday. Are the Raptors back in control of this thing? I I'm not quite prepared. Look, I, I had predicted that Toronto would beat Philadelphia, but I've been surprised by how good the Sixers have been. Um, they've had some pretty spectacular showings, particularly from Jimmy Butler, but of course Joel Embiid as well. I'm not quite sure that Toronto is fully in control because we've seen them slip uh, even when they have the home court advantage, and, uh, and mm-hmm. they lost already to Philadelphia. So to be honest with you, I'm tempted to assume that Toronto will be able to win the fifth game. 
Um, but of course, you know, Philadelphia could wind up, you know, if Pascal Siakam has, is continues to struggle as he did the other night, if they keep depending on Kawhi Leonard for these monster performances where he's carrying this team, there's not a lot of depth there. They haven't gotten a lot of offensive output from anybody other than Kawhi and Siakam, maybe to some extent Kyle Lowry, but they haven't really gotten much from anybody else. That doesn't bode well for Toronto's chances. I still like their defense. I still like their ability to pressure the guys in Philadelphia. I'm going to go ahead and say that the Raptors will win the fifth game, but I don't think that they've completely assumed control of the series. Philadelphia is interesting because you've got another guy that could step up. I mean, one night it might be Jimmy Butler. Another night it might be Joel Embiid. You mentioned Siakam, who's clearly still a little injured and hampered for Toronto. Joel Embiid isn't 100% either for Philadelphia. That's, I think, had a big impact on this series. But if Embiid can get healthy, right, then he could be the most dominant player on the floor. And that's including Kawhi Leonard. But so far, Kawhi has been head over heels the best player in this series. Maybe the best player in the playoffs so far. Um, and, and so... For that reason, I'll, I'll, I'm with you. I'll say Game 5 probably goes to Toronto. I like I just like how they're playing, and you probably get some bounce-back performances from these role players once they get back home. Mm-hmm. But I'm not ready to say that they're in control either. Portland and Denver is the late game Tuesday night. Is this the best series of the second round? You know, these games have been close, obviously. But a lot of the basketball has been pretty ugly at times. You know, they've gone to that, obviously, that marathon four overtime game there but it hasn't always been pretty uh there have been some great moments along the way obviously Nikola Jokic is playing at a really high level but they've gotten some great contributions from others um is it the best series no I don't think it is I so actually I, I to me I prefer the Philadelphia Toronto series more than this one you've been all over that series you've loved that series I have I have but uh yeah. but Portland Denver has been fun it has been really great to watch to be honest with you yeah, I, I think I've, I've got it as my number one series. I just I can't get over that four-overtime game. That was nuts. Um, you've got Damian Lillard on one side, Nikola Jokic. Where, like, look, in, in Toronto, I, that Toronto-Philly series, Kawhi is clearly the best player, right? And, and then, you know, you got the Bucks and Celtics. Giannis is clearly the best player. And you can kind of go down the line and, and do that, other than maybe Warriors, Rockets, even though we just said Kevin Durant's probably the best player in the league. Portland and Denver... Who is the better player out of Nikola Jokic and Damian Lillard? I think that's a real debate. And because they play so differently, it's a hard debate to have. But their in, the, the impact on their teams, I mean, both of these guys are probably or, or definitely should finish in the top five for MVP voting. And they've both had their moments. Then you've got CJ McCollum stepping up. You've got these crazy Rodney Hood games, crazy things that Jamal Murray is doing. There's just a lot of things happening here. We've got a lot of people kind of contributing, where in a lot of these series, it does sort of feel like you've only got one or two guys stepping up on every night. Mm-hmm. But in this Portland-Denver series, I mean, in the you know a quarter, Gary Harris can just catch fire. The next you know the next quarter, it's all about Jamal Murray for for Denver, and you know it could be sort of the same type of script for Portland. So I, I've just liked all the storylines that are going here. Portland-Denver has been awesome. Uh, to me, it's been the best series of the second round. But the second round in general, David, has been awesome. And I've just been thrilled to be able to cover it and, and do these podcasts because these have been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And you, you overlooked Ennis Cantor, former stash bro. I mean, <laughs> That'll do it for us today. Thanks for listening. You can get this show on the new Himalaya podcast app as well as on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NBA. David, are you buying the Patrick Beverly conspiracy theories? Absolutely.